Morning. Morning. Uh, I have a friend who's really into Bitcoin. Anybody know? How many of you know what Bitcoin is? Maybe 60% of you. Uh, if you don't know what Bitcoin is, uh, it's like a cryptocurrency. It's all online. It's a currency that's not regulated by a government or a bank. It's a limited amount of it. There's a lot of people out there that think maybe it's the currency of the future. Well, anyway, <clears throat> this summer I was together with a bunch of friends, and my Bitcoin a friend was there, and he sat us down and gave us a speech about why we should invest in Bitcoin. Now, I had barely even heard of, of Bitcoin at the time, and he gave this really compelling speech. He made really good points. I even thought, you know what, if I invested in Bitcoin, I bet I would make money. But I didn't. Because uh, <laughs> why? Why don't we do a lot of things? Risk, of course. Well, this week I saw uh, Bitcoin in the news, so I texted my friend who I know loves Bitcoin uh, with most of his heart, and I said, hey, if I had, after you gave your compelling speech, if I had invested, say, $1,000 into Bitcoin right after your speech this summer, how, how much money would I have right now? Anyone want to guess? He's at $5,000. I thought, oh, okay. <laughs> no, before you get nervous, this is not a commercial for Bitcoin. Uh, I really know nothing about it. For all I know, you could invest $1,000 in Bitcoin and have 40 cents uh, six days from now. Do not take investment advice from me. But you should take the Bible's advice on what you invest your life into. And this morning, we're going to talk about spiritual investments. Now, this really doesn't have much to do with your money, so you can all just relax for a moment. But it does have a ton to do with your life, and so maybe just unrelax. Uh, we're, we're going to cover a passage in the book of Luke this morning, and it is a challenging one. Uh, Luke is one of four books in the Bible about the life, the teachings, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And one of the things that we do here at Renovation Church is every year we go through a book of the Bible. Um, sometimes it takes us longer than a year, but we literally go through verse by verse by verse. And we don't skip anything. We don't hop around and just talk about passages about God's love. Now, there are plenty of passages in the Bible about God's love. But there are also passages about sin and judgment and God's wrath. And today, as we come to our passage, as we're going through the book of Luke, we've come to a hard passage, one that would normally just be skipped right over, maybe by many, maybe by most churches. But we're not going to do that. Because if I just skip over it because it's hard or it's intense, and if I just talk to you about God's love, and I tell you, like many who claim the name of Christ today do, that God just wants you to be happy and everyone's going to heaven. If I do that, then I'm just editing the Bible. Then I would just be crafting God in my own preferred image. And then I really would be no different than any of the ancient Egyptians or Greeks or Romans who literally crafted gods and gave them the characteristics that they felt the most comfortable with. No, we must look at all of the Bible, all of it, if we're going to truly uncover who the real God actually is. Does that make sense? Not the God that we just want, but who the real God is. So let's get out our Bibles and let's dig in together. Uh, so grab a Bible from the chair in front of you, uh, or you can use your phone. Everybody grab something. This is what we do here. We study the Word of God. So gra if you're grabbing the Bibles, like many of you are, we're on page 717. If you're going to use your phone, you just have Bible uh, and 
weekly verses on our Renovation Church app. Either way, we're going to look at it. We're going to stay in it. So I want you to have it in front of you. If you were here last week or you're listening last week, uh, we were in the beginning of Luke chapter 19, where Jesus forgives uh, the hated tax collector, Zacchaeus. And they're in the city of Jericho, uh, nearing Jerusalem. And now, while still in Jericho, Jesus is going to teach a parable. Uh, If you're not familiar with that word, a parable is basically just a story that has a deeper spiritual meaning. And presumably, Jesus is actually telling this parable while he's still at Zacchaeus' house. Okay, so let's dive in. So in Luke chapter 19, that's the big number on your page. Uh, The little number is uh, 11. So we're going to be starting at verse 11. Here's what it says. It says, while they were listening to this, oh, excuse me, hello. Uh, That's Zacchaeus and Jesus were talking. Uh, He, Jesus, went on to tell them a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because... You are a hard man, and you you take out what you did not put in, and you reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, Take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, the more, excuse me, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Okay, so now you see why a lot of people skip over this passage, okay? All right, what, what, it's the word of God. It's in there for a reason. And we want to do our best to just unpack it and make sense of it. And that's what we're going to do. Now, we see right at the beginning that Jesus is telling this parable for a reason, he says. Now, contextually, we know that they're near Jerusalem. We said a couple times the last couple of weeks, Passover is near. And everyone around him was, because they had this misconception of who the Messiah was to be, was going, okay, here we go, here we go. Jesus is almost in Jerusalem. Passover is coming. He's going to overthrow the evil Roman Empire, and he's going to be king. But instead, Jesus gives them a parable about a guy who goes away for a while and then comes back as king. And by the way, this is actually what people had to do in history. So the Herods, for example, who were kings, King Herod in those days, they actually literally had to go away for a while. They had to go all the way to Rome, where Caesar would appoint them as king to rule, and then they would come back. 
And this teaching, this parable about the delayed coming of the king is really the teaching of scripture, right? And so Jesus, we know that he was here, he was on earth, and then he goes away for a while, right? He goes up to heaven where he sits at the right hand of the father. And then one day when human history as we know it wraps up here on earth, Jesus will come back on the clouds. Except although Jesus came in like a lamb, when he comes back, he'll come back like a lion, the king of kings. And when he comes, we're told in scripture that he will deal with his own servants and he will also deal with his enemies, just like this parable says. And so in the meantime, this is one of the main points of the parable, we, his servants, must invest our lives wisely because the king is returning. Okay, now let's, let's walk through some of the different people in this parable. So you have the servants, and they each get one mina. Now, open, look at your Bible. I want to show you something. Every Bible has a footnotes, even if you don't have a study Bible, but there's kind of key things they'll put in there. So look at verse 13 in your Bible. You see there's a little footnote there? Now trace that footnote down to the footer, ah, the bottom of the page, and you'll see what the footnote is. And what does it say? It says that a mina is essentially worth about three months' wages. This is a generous thing that the king has done. He's trusting his servants. He's given them, if we make this a modern day equivalent, let's just round to make it easy. That's about $10,000 he's given to each of his servants. So the first servant, he takes the one mina, he invests it somehow, somewhere, and now it's worth 10 more. So essentially the king gave him $10,000 and now he has $100,000 to give back to the king. Second servant, takes the 10 grand and he turns it into 50 grand. But the third servant did not obey his master. He didn't put the money to work at all. We're told he just basically put it in a piece of cloth and he didn't touch it the whole time the master was gone. And the point here for Christ followers is that God has put a spiritual investment in you and he wants a return on it. If you're a believer in Jesus, one of the key theological things we learn from the Bible is that God puts his Holy Spirit in you. And not only does he put the Spirit in you, he has gifted each of you to do very specific things for him because he wants to use you to extend his kingdom and glorify his name. And so therefore, the number one goal of your life, it's not to give rich, it's not to be famous. It's not to have a great career. It's not even to raise kids who grow up and actually like you. The number one goal of your life is to ask God, what is your will for my life? And then live it out. Really, the goal of your life, according to this parable, should be that when you die and you meet God face to face, that he would look at you like he looks at that first servant and say, well done, good servant. That he could look at you and say, well done, look around us here. There are so many here that are here because of you and your testimony. That he could say, well done. I, one of the things I really wanted you to do was to find ways to feed the hungry. And you did. Well done. You, you raised your children to follow me. And now, what an exponential investment. Because now they're spreading the gospel and my good news. Well done. But I fear 
that many of you in this room, even though you've claimed for years that you're a Christian, you simply aren't making spiritual investments into eternity. And if the king were to return on the clouds this afternoon, you'd just be handing him back the one mina he gave you when you were saved. Truly, you haven't done much with it. But sure, you've asked a lot of things in your life about how do you improve your own mental health, how do you improve your bank account. But you, besides coming to church and you know, doing some spiritual things, reading your Bible, you haven't actually made any investments into eternity by serving the king. If you truly are a Christian, I trust that the Holy Spirit has been speaking into your life, telling you what exactly he wants you to do. And if you're going, I don't know, I would, are you listening? Listen, this is, God, what is your will? That's not a secondary question in your life. As Christians, we're not to ask, okay, who do you want me to marry? What do you want me to do when I grow up? The first question is, God, what is your will? How do I serve you? God has a plan to use you. Do you know what it is? Not that long ago, I, uh, I read a news story about Dr. Scott uh, Kurtzman. Uh, Dr. Kurtzman is a chief of surgery out at a hospital in uh, Connecticut. Uh, one morning, he was uh, driving into work. He actually was giving a, a, an 8 a.m. lecture, and he came upon what was one of the worst traffic accidents in the history of the state of Connecticut. Basically, there was a guy driving a dump truck, and his dump truck went sideways and then slid into oncoming traffic. It was a 20-car pileup. Eventually, uh, four people even died in this accident. Well, thanks to years and years of emergency room trauma experience, Dr. Kurtzman just immediately launched into helping people and literally saving lives. He just was walking through all the mangled automobiles and people, and he started to just shout out, Who needs help? Who needs help? Who needs help? And was just going from car to car, saving lives. Well, it turns out this wasn't even the first time this guy had done this. He had stopped over the years of his life at six different traffic accidents and helped save lives at three different accidents. Well, they were interviewing him in this a news article, and he said this, and I want you to listen carefully to what this doctor said. He said, a person with my skills simply cannot drive by someone who's injured. I refuse to live my life that way. And I would say to you, Christ follower, that God has given you his spirit in you as a deposit, his Holy Spirit. And he has told you the life-saving good news of Jesus Christ, something that what half the world doesn't even know. And you know it. Do not hold that to yourself. Do not drive by an injured and hurting world with this life-saving spirit and knowledge in your soul. You know, I think Jesus uses this theme in the parable, this theme of investment, because when you invest in something, there's a risk, right? And we feel that. We feel the risk. Many of us are afraid to risk sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus with other people. Or we're afraid to actually, when the, you feel, some of you are feeling it right now, the Holy Spirit is just nudging you again to do something, and you're not going to do it because you're afraid. You're afraid of the fear of failure. I would say, trust God. This is not a friend randomly telling you to invest in Bitcoin. 
right? This is the word of God that does not lie and does not fail telling you to trust it. But a lot of us, in our fear, our fear of risk, we resign to just do nothing. And it's because we have this misconception that by doing nothing, by doing nothing, it's somehow neutral. But it is not. In fact, you're rationalizing sin. And I'll tell you exactly how we do it as Christians. I've seen a lot of people do this over the years. We rationalize our inaction by simply looking at the sin of others. We look at people who have just outward sin, right? This is easy to see. They blew up their their marriages. They've committed adultery. They're just in drunkenness all the time. And we we look at them and they say, oh, see, I'm not doing that. I'm not sinful. But remember, sometimes sin is not what you do but what you don't do. Now, what's it say in this parable? It says, Jesus says the third servant did not obey him as king. He didn't do anything with his gift that the king generously gave him. He sinned by doing nothing. You know, there are other Christians who do almost nothing for Jesus. They make really no spiritual investments. They're going to get to the end of their life and say, here's your mina back. And that's because they are most interested in prioritizing things like their careers, their families, all their kids' activities. And I would tell you, if that's you, you know someone like that, let me give you some biblical investment advice. That is, to make those things your number one priority that you revolve your life around, that is an incredibly short-sighted investment strategy. Because those sort of things, investing in your career and all of your kids' activities, and all, to make them, not that they're bad, right? But to make them number one and everything else goes around that. Those are things that will indeed pay dividends to you for the next 40 years. But it's a short-sighted investment because we're choosing things that are going to pay dividends for 40 years instead of the things that are going to pay dividends for 40 million years. Trust the word of God. And listen, the Lord isn't investing in you just so he can get his own return out of it and extend his kingdom. Certainly that's part of it, but he's also investing in you personally. And so when you take a risk and you trust that nudge of the Holy Spirit, you say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go out. He's calling me to something. I'm going to do it. In the process, he's also making you in to a godly woman and to a godly man. One who is so godly that you are worthy of serving him in an even greater capacity in, inter- in eternity. See, today, you may be a small group leader who's putting all that they can into shepherding their flock of six people within their house group. Uh, you may be a light for Christ in your little office of four people Monday through Friday. Uh, you may be a mother who's striving to do everything she possibly can to help her kids fall in love with Jesus. That's who you may be today, and you may go, oh, this is just a small thing, but I'm giving my heart to it. That's who you may be today, but tomorrow you may be governing 10 cities in God's kingdom. That's what the word is saying. You know, I think a lot of people have this a misconception. A lot of Christians do. It's sort of a hallmark version of heaven, that, you know, heaven is like we all lay on clouds and we play some sick tunes on harps and stuff like that i have no idea if this is how you hold a harp this is it feels right right 
But if you actually look at Scripture, even in this passage today, we see we're, you're going to work. You're going to serve the king. Right when history on earth starts to wrap up in heaven, Scripture says, then becomes a new heaven, which comes down and joins with a new renewed earth. And you, your body, you get a resurrected body and you're renewed. It says you will reign with him. But before all that happens, we see also in this parable and in so many other places in the Bible that you will be judged. Everyone will be judged, even the Christians. If you're a follower of Jesus and you believe that Jesus paid for your sins, you will be not guilty of your sins. You'll be granted eternal life with God. What a moment. But you read this in five, six, seven places in the Bible that each Christian will have varying rewards in eternal life based on how they served and how they lived their life. We're actually going to go into more detail in that this week in, in house groups. But it's right in this passage, right? It's in other places too. The one who took God's gifts and they put them to work, they're going to be managing 10 cities. But to the one who did nothing, they lost even what they had. Now, that person who lost what they had, they're still the king's servant, Right? They're still saved. And in ways we don't understand, we trust that God's promises about heaven are, are true and that for them, even for them, there'll be no sorrow. Every tear will be wiped from their eye. But that servant proved that they were unable to manage the master's things on earth. And so they won't be given anything to manage in heaven, in eternal life. What kind of investments are you making? What are you living for? Just short little earth? Or are you living for eternity? Now, it wouldn't be right for me to leave this passage without talking about what is the part of the passage that makes us go, ooh, and that is the enemies of the king. So in this parable, they're talked about both at the beginning of the parable and then at the very end, there's these enemies who do not want the king to reign. They don't want him to be king of their lives. Now, notice in the passage, when the king comes back, judgment happens, right? So first he deals with his servants, and he doles out rewards or lack thereof to them, and then he judges these enemies who don't want him to be king. And we learn from the teachings of the Bible and from Jesus, who, by the way, talks about hell a lot. I think a lot of people misinterpret this about Jesus, but just read through the book of Luke. It will blow your mind how much he talks about hell. And Jesus says that those who do not submit to him are his enemies. Okay, time out. This is a sort of language, and I'm saying those who don't submit to Jesus, the king, as enemies, that a lot of us, if you've just grown up in kind of typical evangelical American Christianity, it just sounds almost foreign, right? There's enemies. I promise you, I'm not trying to be provocative. I'm not trying to cause a scene here. I'm literally using the language of the text in the Bible. I'm not trying to craft God into my own sort of rosy image. I'm reading what it says in the Bible and what it says elsewhere. Because the Bible teaches that our sin makes us an enemy to God. That we have sinned against God. A holy and perfect God. We have sinned against him with our actions and our thoughts. We're not living as if he's king. 
We're living as if we're in charge. Listen, let me tell you something about Jesus. Jesus is not asking if you want him to be your guardian angel. As if he's just somebody that you can, oh, if I have to go to the hospital someday, I could call on him. Or if I need a new job, I could call on him. He wants to be king, lord of your life. In the Bible, there are only two classes of people. There are servants of the king, and there are enemies of the king. Americans don't understand that there is no middle ground. There's no middle ground of people who mildly approve of Jesus, but in actuality are still the king of their own lives. He's your king or he's not your king. Even if you called yourself a Christian for 20 years, if he's not your king, he's not your king. The main truth of scripture is this. God loves you so much that even though your sin has made you an enemy of God, he still loved you, his enemy, so much that he sent his own son to die in your place for your sins. You know, you know anybody who would send their own son to die for their enemy? You don't. But that is the depth of the love of God for you. And the Bible teaches that if you would believe that he loves you that much, and you would say, I need forgiveness, I cannot make it on my own, I am your enemy, I am a sinner, I cannot get to heaven, I cannot be forgiven. If you would surrender to him as your king and believe that he died for you, that you could be forgiven of everything. And he would come in your life and you could have a relationship with him. But if you will not surrender your life to him, and you don't turn your life over to him. You just kind of go, ah, you know, Jesus, my approval rating is fine, but I don't really. Then you will remain his enemy. And someday when your life is over or when the king returns, then you will pay for your sins in hell. Instead of having God who loves you pay for them by having them on Jesus. And I just beg of you, I beg of you, I beg of you. Let God's love into your life. Let him forgive you. This can be a sort of an abstract concept. Sometimes it's hard to just make sense of it. And so what, I, what we're going to do right now is we're going to show you some people, real-life people, who've actually surrendered their life over to the king. And we're going to do uh, two baptisms right now. Uh, this is a baptism Sunday for us, so we're doing two baptisms at each service as we prepare for that, I'm actually going to call our baptismal team to come on stage right now, uh, and they're going to get our uh, baptismal ready. It's right here, who knew, in the uh, middle of the stage. We are excited about this because this is the very first time we're going to use this. Uh, so we've been thinking about this for a, a really, really, really long time. You know, I just want to say, I know it may be hard to focus as you're kind of watching these guys do incredible work here, but I want you to listen to what I'm saying because sometimes... I find that people have a lot of misconceptions on what baptism is. Because there's a lot of different teachings on it in culture and in different churches. So I just want to tell you what the Bible itself, not a church, what the Bible itself actually says about baptism. Baptism is something that's meant to be done after someone makes a personal decision to accept Jesus as their Savior. Uh, baptism is a symbol of what Jesus did for you when you personally believed in him as your savior. So baptism doesn't save you. 
but it's in this awesome, incredibly important symbol that you believe he died for you, and by doing so, it has washed away all of your sin, and you are clean in his eyes. And so we are so excited to uh, baptize two people at this service. Uh, you're going to hear testimonies, and I want you to listen carefully on how they came to believe in Jesus, to surrender to him as their king. And then they're going to be baptized by uh, someone in their life who's a sponsor, someone who's had a spiritual impact on them, and then also another person uh, from our church as well. And so uh, we're really excited about this. Uh, we're going to do our first testimony. So Kathy, you can uh, begin to come on stage, and I will uh, set up the microphone for you. And we are excited to go through this. So Kathy will give her testimony, uh, then she will get baptized, and then we have another person, Daniel, who's coming up as well to give a testimony. Hello. My name is Kathy. Um, I live here in Blaine, and I actually moved back to this area for the second time a couple years ago. And I would say I've been a Christian for most of my life. Um, Sorry. And um, most of my life I have felt like there has been something missing, and I didn't really know what that was. Um, A little over a few years ago, I probably reached my lowest point in my life, experiencing grief, sadness, and a loss that hurts like no other. When I moved back to this area, I knew I wanted to find a church that I could call my home, and I found this one, Renovation. So upon my initial visit to this church, I was greeted by some really nice people, and they ushered me into the church. The music was awesome and motivating, and then there was Pastor David Sorn with the message that I felt was speaking directly to me. Each week I was feeling more and more connected with God, and I found myself keeping notes on David's messages. And there was one that really touched me, and it was the one called When Life is Hard series. That was back on October 27, 2019. Pastor David was talking about suffering, and I took a lot of notes, and how hard times will fall upon all of us. That was... um, Very difficult to listen to that message because he said when we suffer according to God's will, God allows us to suffer hard times in our lives on purpose. He said this because God is testing our genuine faith in him by allowing our impurities to surface during times of trial and suffering. Uh, And that our faith becomes more pure while we're in the fire. David also mentioned that Christians shine the brightest when they're suffering and knowing that God is good even during those times. I know this to be true because about four years ago, I lost my only son. And my only daughter lost her only son at birth, not even a year before. There has never been a time or a moment in my life where I put blame on God for their deaths. About a year after I had lost my son, Brian, I was still trying to pull my life together, and I had reached an absolute bottom. I was giving up. I couldn't take it anymore, and I knew I needed help. But what I did in that moment was that I reached for my Bible and in search for an answer from God. I knew at that moment I could not do things without his help. I was for... And for whatever reason, I was directed to Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6, where it tells us to trust in the Lord with the whole heart and not to rely on our own understandings and in all ways acknowledge him 
and he will provide a path. Well, I thought on that, and I told myself, you know what? I'm doing it. I'm going to give God all my worries. And I prayed. And I just let it all go. And actually, I cried myself to sleep right where I was. I probably got the best night's sleep I ever had, especially in that year. And by the very next morning, all of my prayers were answered. And it was the beginning of a new life. But God just needed to hear from me, and he needed to see my commitment. When your child leaves you, he leaves nothing but love in your heart. And for that, I could see no anger. I believe and became fixed on my Bible and in those instructions. That was the part that was missing from my life. I just needed everything with, with him and through God. And just not trying to do things alone. That new life brought me to where I am today. After joining Renovation Church, I soon lear- uh, learned about house groups. And I thought that this would be a really good way to meet people and to continue my growth in my faith. Uh, but it's, it has actually been a lot more than that. They have taught me that everything we do is done for the glory of God. My relationship with God has grown. And today, I'm putting my faith in his hands forever. Standing up with me today are my amazing sponsors and house group leaders, Garrett and Cassie Plantage. All the wonderful people in this church, Pastor David, the house group leaders, and other house group leaders and my friends in this church have played such an important role in helping me to know that Jesus truly loves me and died for me, and that's why I'm getting baptized today. And lastly, I thank God that you're all in my life. I will continue to serve at renovation by means of greeting you at the door, playing with your kids, or out here disinfecting. (laughs) I also hope that someday I can usher someone in here who can find what I have found. Renovation Church is on the rise, and God is in the house. God bless. Hi, my name is Daniel, and I've been attending Renovation Church for about 10 years now, but my testimony is something that's happened in my life quite recently. Um, The story of my testimony starts before I was a Christian, and before I was a Christian, I felt like life was meaningless. I lived every day thinking that I had no purpose in life. I'd always believed in God, but I never had a relationship with him, and this is due to my doubts of his his existence, but it was also because I felt like I couldn't live up to his holy standard. And for that reason, I never saw a relationship with him. That was until 2019 when I started doing research on the Bible. I'm not sure why I did. I just felt drawn to it. But even though I started my research, I still didn't develop that relationship with God, and I gave up on my research. Then in 2020, I felt that same compelling feeling to start reading my Bible again, to start praying, to pick up where I left off on my research. And this time I learned two important things. One is that there is sufficient evidence for God's existence. And two, that I can never fulfill God's holy standard. But that is why Jesus came and died on the cross for me. Even though I learned these things, I still didn't have that relationship with him. And this is because I had an obstacle in my life. It was my girlfriend at the time. And in this relationship with my girlfriend, my desire to follow God was dwindling. 
this was because she was pulling me more and more into sin. And so this cycle continued until I realized that I had to choose between either her or God. And in July of 2020, I made that decision and I gave my life to Christ. Ever since that day, he's freed me from my enslavement to sin and he's made me a new creation. He taught me that there is a purpose in life. It's to serve the one and only living God. By his blood, he freed me from my path to destruction and he gave me life instead. I'm so grateful for what he did on the cross for me. And I'm forever indebted to him. It's pretty amazing. I, I wish you could be here three services with us today. It's just, uh, whew, uh, it's pretty amazing to watch. Um, you know, what you just saw were two incredibly powerful testimonies of people who were once enemies of God. I was an enemy of God. I used to persecute Christians. I, you know, I don't think that we understand God's love until you first understand that you're an enemy. And then he would die for us. That's his love for you. I want to show you a really powerful verse on this from the book of Colossians. It says this, Colossians chapter 1. This includes you, who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he's brought you into his own presence. That's what these people are talking about. They have a relationship with God now. He's changing them. They're living. They're walking with him. And you are holy and blameless. Your sin has been washed away as you stand before him without a single fault. You know, we sometimes explain uh, the truth of the Bible this way. The Bible says that you are more sinful than you ever dared imagine in God's eyes. And yet, you are more loved by God than you ever dared dream of. That's the paradox of the Bible. But my friend, if you just keep on believing like the average American, that you know what, God just deserves to send me to heaven and I didn't murder anyone, so I'm sure I'll be fine when I get to the end of my life. I am warning you right now, you will be shocked when you meet the king and realize that you are indeed an enemy of God because of your sin. And your sin has not been paid for. God in his immense love for you is willing to forgive you, to have mercy on you if you would only believe that his son Jesus died in your place, just like these people just said. If you do that, he will turn you from an enemy of God to a child of God. I pray that you make that decision. Let me, let me start praying right now. Lord, We've seen your miracles this morning and heard of them. God, we ask in your name that you would do more. Holy Spirit, that you would move in this room, that you would resurrect hearts right now. As I'm praying right now, if you need to turn your life over to the king for the first time today, to admit that your sin has made you his enemy, 
to ask for his forgiveness, to become his follower, you can do that right now. The brilliance of God's message to you is you don't have to be good enough. You don't have to leave here and spend the next two years of your life getting your life in order. He can forgive you right now if you would just believe on his son and let him be the king of your life, if you would accept him as king. He will not force it on you. It's a decision that every person has to make for themselves. But if that's you, and you want God's forgiveness, you want God to turn your life around like these people, and you want to accept him as king into your life, if that's you, what I want you to do is I'm going to ask you in just a second here to actually stand up, to mark this moment of your life, as this is the day that God forgave me, that I, that I believed on him, that he died in my place, and I am letting him be king of my life. So if that's you and you, God has just been penetrating into your heart the last half hour. If that's you and you need to accept that forgiveness and be forgiven, would you just stand up? Everyone's eyes are closed still. Would you just stand up where you're at right now? Go ahead and accept that forgiveness. I want to give you about 10 seconds or so. you just know that you need forgiveness and you cannot make it on your own and you need God to forgive you, would you just stand up and accept him into your life? Anyone in here needs to make that decision? All right. If you are here and you've just been teetering on the fence but you don't know if you can do it right now, what I encourage you to do is what Daniel talked about today, is go home and investigate for yourself. Take a Bible with you. You start reading through this book that we're studying, the book of Luke. Investigate who Jesus is. Some people, it's a six-second decision or a six-minute decision. You know, my life, it took six months of just looking in and deciding, is this what I want to do? Start looking for him because he is so good. He is amazing. And church, I just want to say to you, uh, the last month of my life has been maybe the most exciting month of my life, watching this. You know what I'm talking about? Just watching people come to Christ every single week, now baptizing people. I got to tell you this, uh, before we head out today, let me just tell you this real quick. At first service today, we baptized two people, just like we did at this service, and the second woman that went in, she got baptized. I gave the gospel afterwards, and right here in the second row, a man stood up, to give his life to Christ. You want to know who it was? It was the twin brother of the woman who had just gotten saved and gotten baptized. (laughs) Who came to church to see her baptism. I mean, that's what God is doing every single week here. We've been praying about this. We've been sacrificing for years, praying God for, asking God to bring a harvest. And I just want to tell you right now, the harvest is here and it is happening and God is moving. And so we just, we just want to pray and we want to thank God. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in this place. Uh, we just feel unworthy of it, God. We're just so thankful. That is so amazing. We're so excited to be a part of it. We pray for the many, many new believers that we're seeing over the last couple of weeks. Would you hold them in your hand? Would you protect them from the enemy? God, and would you just blossom them into a crop that yields a harvest a hundred times over? It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, we'll see you next week.